0: Hello, my name is David Schmidt. I teach homiletics at Concordia Seminary St. Louis, and I'd like to give you a brief introduction to the sermon, The Privilege of Prayer. Sometimes when I read articles on homiletics, I often wonder to myself, how is this gonna look in practice? What would it sound like if you were actually gonna take this theory and put it in the pulpit? And so when I wrote the article, The Tapestry of Preaching for the Concordia Journal, I thought it might be nice to have a sample sermon so that you could either listen to the sermon first and then read the article or read the article and listen to the sermon. But the idea is that in the sermon you will see homiletical theory and the act of proclamation joined together. So the sermon is on Genesis 18, the story of Abraham interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah. It is titled The Privilege of Prayer and I welcome you to listen to the sermon and then to read the article and consider the tapestry of preaching grace to you in peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I have a friend who has a great way of getting to the heart of the matter. We've been friends for over 20 years, and we usually don't get to see each other about maybe just once every two or three years. When we do see each other, however, we make sure we set aside some time to get together and to talk. Now, you know how it is when you're talking with somebody you haven't seen in years. You spend so much time catching up on what's going on in your life that sometimes you can end up not talking about what's really important to you. Well, my friend has this great way of getting to the heart of the matter. I don't know if he knows that he does it, but here's what happens. We'll be out to lunch, or we'll be having coffee, and we'll be talking for about 20 minutes. And then he'll look at me, and he'll say, Dave, what are you praying about? What are you praying about? The minute I try to answer that question, I find that I am bringing into our conversation those things that are most important in my life. That's the way it is with prayer, isn't it? Prayer is that place where we share what is most important with God. It could be the burdens that we don't tell anybody else. Fears about the ministry, frustrations with our family or our finances. It could be. It could be those joys that we have shared with everybody else so much that they're kind of sick of hearing it. And so we find ourselves coming before God and singing His praises. Because God knows everything about us, and because in Christ, God has a love that forgives us all of our sin, there is nothing that we cannot bring before the throne of our Heavenly Father, and prayer is that place where we talk about the heart of the matter. So if you tell somebody what you're praying about, or if you overhear somebody's prayer, you're listening to what's most important. Now the reason I bring this up is because that is exactly what's happening in chapel this morning. We have gathered here and we are overhearing somebody's prayer. We're listening in on a conversation that Abraham had with Yahweh. A conversation where he spoke to God from the heart. And what I would like to do this morning is I'd like to spend some time listening in on that conversation and then spend some time looking at our own lives because I believe that this text encourages us and forms us in the practice of prayer. So think about this conversation. Abraham in this text is standing in a very frightening position. He is on the crest of a hill looking down at the city of Sodom and yet seeing something completely different. Abraham is looking at the cities on the plain and yet he is seeing the coming wrath of Yahweh. Yahweh has just visited Abraham in the persons of three angels and after the visit is over they're leaving and they're walking and two of the angels go on down to visit the cities in Sodom and Gomorrah and one remains with Abraham And Yahweh opens up to Abraham a vision of his coming wrath upon those cities. You see, Yahweh, from his throne in heaven, has heard a sound. It's not the sound of victory. It's not the sound of singing. It's not the sound of prayer. It's not the sound of praise. It's not the sound of thanksgiving. Yahweh has heard an outcry of sin. Remember when Cain slew Abel, and Abel's blood cried out from the ground, and God heard it from heaven? Yahweh has heard an outcry coming from those cities, and he is now going down to those cities to see if it is as bad as he has heard. He has heard that it is great. And it is grievous, great in its extent and its number and grievous in its burden and depth. And if it is as bad as he has heard, this time he will open up those windows of heaven. Open up the windows of heaven, but not rain down water. No, this time he will rain down fire and annihilate every man, woman, and child in that city. And so Abraham stands there on the crest of a hill with a whole sinful world below him and the wrath of heaven above him. And he watches as Yahweh approaches that city like a storm cloud on the horizon. And then Abraham does the most amazing thing he prays. (laughs) He simply prays. Now, now I'll admit, it doesn't sound like prayer. You know, all sweet and sentimental. It isn't one of these prayers he pulled out of a hymn book and read from a three-by-five card. No, it it doesn't sound like that. It sounds more like a, a merchant in a marketplace bartering for a bargain. As he says to Yahweh, you know, what if there are 50 righteous in that city? What if there are 50 righteous? Are you going to sweep away the righteous and the wicked? Far be it from a God such as you to sweep away the righteous and the wicked. What if there are 50? And Yahweh says, if there are 50, if there are 50 righteous, I'll spare the whole city. Abraham says, well, well, what about if there's five less than 50? I mean, you know, you're going to wipe away the whole city for the sake of a lack of 5 and Yahweh says 45. I'll do it. Abraham says what about 40? Yahweh says yes. 30? Yes. 20? Yes. 10? Yes. Here we can hear the agony of Abraham bartering for a bargain from God when there's human lives hanging in the balance. But notice also that here we hear the faith of Abraham holding on to the God that he knows through the covenant when faced with this God he sees in judgment. Seeing the wrath of Yahweh, Abraham holds on to the mercy of God. And he does it because he has heard another sound He has heard the first faint strains of that sweet song of Zion. When Yahweh visited Abraham, what did they talk about? Yahweh told him that he would have a son a year from this time. A son of the promise. And Yahweh told him that he was going to make of Abraham a great nation through that son. And Yahweh told Abraham that through that nation... He was going to bless all of the nations of the world. And so standing on the crest of this hill with a sinful world below him and the wrath of God above him, Abraham holds on to that mercy and intercedes for that world. And that, my friends, is the privilege of prayer. And it's a privilege that we desperately need today. Think about it. When you leave chapel this morning, what what kind of a world do you go into? It's not hard to see the sin of that world. Just just turn on the radio. Listen to any news outlet. Do a search on your internet with no protective filters. (laughs) It's easy to see the sin of that world. And it is grievous and it is great. There are reports of shooting. There is sexual immorality. There are businesses who are oppressing the poor, who are fighting for profits rather than justice. And we see it, and we see that it is grievous and great. Imagine what it looks like to God as he sees how far we have all fallen from the glory of creation as he has made it to be. And how do you live? How do you live as a Christian in that world? Well, I'll tell you what some people do. Some people run away from that world in fear. They see the world, they see its problems, they say these challenges are too complex, the forces are too great, there's nothing I can do, and so they run away from the world to some type of Christian cocoon where they can hide out in safety as God's judgment passes. It would be as if Abraham, instead of standing on the crest of that hill, had run back into the tent with Sarah, closed the flaps and said, Honey, don't look outside. I don't There's going to be a little bit of noise out there, but you know what? At least we're saved, right? The whole rest of the world, it can go to the flames of God's judgment, but at least we're okay. Some people run away from that world in fear. And other Christians, other Christians actually run into that world in hatred. It would be as if Abraham, instead of standing there on the crest of that hill with Yahweh, had said, you know what? I'm going to go down and join those two angels. (laughs) I'm going to go down and join those two angels and declare the judgment of God on those cities. You've seen them, haven't you? Those Christians, they go into Walmart, Walgreens, they buy these big white poster boards, black markers, and they write on the poster board in block letters, God hates. They get in buses. They hold rallies. They drive to places where they come out with that message, letting the world know that God hates them. Some run away from the world in fear. Others run into the world in hatred. But Abraham, Abraham offers us another way. He stands there on the crest of that hill before Yahweh, And he prays, he prays for a fallen world. And that is a holy place. That is a holy conversation. It has been set apart. It has been set apart by God for you. Think about it. When Jesus died on the cross, he was there on the crest of a hill outside a city, and he had the whole fallen world in front of him. And that sin of that world was great and it was grievous. He saw every sin from the first sin of Adam in the Garden of Eden to the last sin the day that he returns. He saw that sin great and grievous as this world has fallen away from God. And he heard the outcry of sin as his own religious leaders stood there and said to him, if you are the Messiah, come down from the cross. Save yourself. But he didn't. He didn't come down from that cross because he didn't come to save himself. He came to save you. He came to save you and the whole fallen world that you live in. And when Jesus was dying on that cross, he heard another sound he heard a faint strain of that song of Zion and he opened his mouth in prayer and he said, Father, forgive them. And when you overhear that prayer, you are taken to the heart of your Savior. God forgives you. Not for the sake of 50 righteous, not 45, not 40, not 30, not 20, 10. God forgives you for the sake of one, one righteous man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who bore the wrath of God for you. The, there he was on the cross with a sinful world below him, the wrath of God above him, and the entire wrath of God was poured out on that one man, that the entire mercy of God might be poured out on the world. And so Jesus calls to you now to stop running. Stop running away from the world in fear. Stop running into the world in hatred. Stand here with him. Stand here in him and join your voice to sing that song of Zion. Abraham, our father, sang it. Jesus, our Savior, sang it for you. And now we have the privilege of singing that song for the world. (laughs) So what does that look like? You know, in real life, what does that look like, right? Well, I'll tell you, it's not as easy as it sounds in the Old Testament reading. That is, it's not as easy as God waking you up some morning and telling you what he's going to do to your neighbors down the street. It's not as difficult as we make it to be. You know, it's not as difficult as us setting the alarm two hours early so we can get up in the morning and be a prayer warrior, so that we can spend two hours on our knee in the morning, every morning, in prayer for a sinful world. Not that difficult. Actually, actually, it looks a lot like regular life. 7.15 in the morning, you're in your car driving from home to the seminary, you're driving on these streets congested with traffic because of this Highway 40 construction, and you turn on the radio and you hear a news clip about a school in Colorado where there are no more classes today. There's been a shooting. It sounds from the earliest reports that it's a mass shooting and you wish it weren't so. Some parents' children are dead. In school this morning. You grab your cell phone to call your wife, you, you think about when you last saw your children and you worry that they're going to be safe in school this day and wrapped up into that wish and that worry is a gracious longing for God's kingdom. An end to the senseless destruction that we create on this earth and here, stuck in news that is worse than the traffic God's people find refuge for just a moment in the privilege of prayer. Now, I'll admit, it doesn't sound like prayer, all sweet and sentimental. (laughs) But neither did Abraham's conversation. No, it sounds more like anger and disgust and frustration and fear, all wrapped up with a gracious longing, a holding on to God's mercy in the face of a sin we cannot take away. But here is a holy place And here is holy conversation, and somewhere on the streets of St. Louis, between your home and the seminary, God's kingdom comes in a very small way. God's people are alive, and they're singing the song of Zion as best they can, in in words more frustrated than sentimental, more grasping than glorious, God's people pray for mercy, and they pray for his kingdom to come. So no matter where you are, when you're in that prayer, you are near. You are very near to the heart of your Savior. And that, my friends, is the privilege of prayer. Amen.